Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Zum Podcast number 17. Interview today with Eric Cash. I just want to give you a couple notes on him. He's a stand-up comic, former street performer, uh, traveling circus ringleader, uh, deep history in the punk scene, so we talk a bit about that stuff. He mentions his special anti-famous and website antifamous.com. Uh, the website's not up yet, and the special is kind of indefinitely postponed, as far as I know. He will definitely post about it when it's rescheduled, and the best way to find him online right now is Facebook, uh, The Eric Cash. And he'll be performing at the San Francisco Burrito and Comedy Festival, which uh, you can go to burritofestival.com. I'll be working on the Lost Weekend shows there, too. So come by, check us all out, and enjoy the show. So the uh, MacGyver of my kitchen right now is Eric Cash. <laughs> We're trying out a recording in the living room, or in the kitchen right now. Actually, I don't even have the monitor on. I shouldn't take the headphones off. <laughs> it's cool. It makes you look spacey. I know, yeah. So uh, Eric is a comedian who, like a, a bunch of comedians I've met, you have a pre-existing... Condition? Uh, <laughs> I mean, a pre-existing performance experience right or like were you yeah I did a lot of other things for as a comic um I think there's a few of us because we get tired of carrying gear and having to work with other people that is exactly <laughs> that is exactly one of the things I tell people when they ask me about it yeah like being you, you're you don't have to be a roadie for other people or you don't and then at the end if you get any money you don't have to split it up seven ways or whatever yeah, and fight over who's going to buy us a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. But what was your... Were you ever in a band, or is this the, was the hardcore, busking thing you're talking about? I was in hardcore bands, <clears throat> and then uh, I was in hardcore bands on the East Coast, um, and I was a painter, and then I um, started a punk rock circus in 1998, and then in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003, we did four U.S. tours. We did a bunch of things. We were on HBO and Discovery. And what was the name of the group? We were called the No Nothing Family Circus Sideshow. Okay, I feel like I've heard of that, yeah. You may have. We were kind of a mess. You guys started, where'd you guys start out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had been in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um... And then I took off for a little while, and a bunch of my friends were in Boston and Connecticut. And then I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I started calling my friends and tell them, telling them that they were moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I didn't tell them why. This is 98-ish? <laughs> yeah, and okay. so they started moving there, and I was really crazy, and we started building gigantic puppets 
and um, and uh, I don't know how to describe those days. I took a lot of LSD for a long time, <laughs> and I'm and I'm 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 a megalomaniac without it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but this. Started so the busking stuff started in Boston. I didn't start. I didn't start street performing uh-huh. until I'd been with the circus for like two years. I technically started in two thousand. Um, I didn't really have a show in t- until two thousand one, um, and I didn't really get it together as a street performer until I quit the circus because I just I just didn't want to work for anybody else, and so we would tour during the summer, and then I would try to make money um, doing street shows in the winter, and I did a magic show for a little while. Um, technically I've always bounced off and on as a street performer. I was trying to get money for breakdancing when I was a little kid. And then I did fire shows when we were in the circus. And uh-huh. then we did, um, I used to do this puppetry thing. I had this gigantic puppet named Mama that looked like this old faded gypsy woman. She was built just like, um, the Skeksis. Oh and yeah, sticks were in Dark Crystal. Right, right. So you so, had to have like sorry, was, well, no, her head. Was, I moved with my hand, and uh-huh. her neck went over my head. Uh-huh. and she had one arm, and that was my arm. And then she was just this big pile of rags. And my girlfriend, who was in the circus at the time, um, Mickey Love, had this beautiful singing voice. And so the act was, Mickey would stand between my legs underneath me, and this big pile of hulking rags at this. With this old gypsy woman face, like, you never had any idea what the hell was underneath it. And I would speak in this, like, really bad Cockney accent, screaming at people to um, gather around so I could sing a song. And I'd be like, you want to sing it? You want to hear a song? Come on, then. And I would just keep doing this and keep doing this. And then um, eventually, when we'd have a, a big enough of a crowd... I would go, a one, a two, a one, two, three, four. And Mickey would belt out with this beautiful voice, I've been through the wilderness. And we'd do, like, a virgin. <laughs> Sounds awesome. It's really stupid. <laughs> Wait, this is, and this is just, like, in, like, uh, Cambridge or whatever? Or like... No, that was in New Orleans. Uh-huh. And I moved around a lot. Sorry, my, my timeline's crazy. <laughs> um, that was in New but... Orleans, like, the year that we started the circus. So that's what we would do. We lived, we were living in, we moved from Albuquerque to New Orleans, and we were living in a squat. And um, because the people that we were supposed to stay with when we came to New Orleans had gotten kicked out and just vanished off the face of the planet... We went to their house and were like screaming at their window, and their land came, landlord came out and they're like, they're not here anymore, they're gone. <laughs> so we opened up a squat and we would take this ridiculous fuck all puppet in a shopping cart two miles to the quarter every day <laughs> and do this stupid act. The, the, this and then we would act. drink all of it. Yeah. Now that I've never actually been to New Orleans, it sounds like a really. It's a good really place awesome to not place. make much money and drink every dime you did. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like why, uh, like, people, the only people I kind of know out there were, like, Quintron and this uh-huh. cat. and, like, speaking of puppets, like, she's yeah. great with all that stuff. But if, so you're, t- you bounced around a lot, so uh, what so the new, was the starting the circus, out thing? Let's the, go circus, back a little. the circus was in New Orleans. Okay, that was New Orleans. We started it in Albuquerque, and this was, like, in, when we started it, I was so out of my mind. Um, and I can't believe I got these people to move there and we got, we got a few of us there and then, um, and then we hooked up with this group called the end of the world circus kind of, and they were out of new Orleans 
kind of. They had like three groups, Austin, New Orleans, and I can't remember where the third group was. San Francisco. I don't know why I mm-hmm. forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so we were like, we're going we're gonna to meet up. We were going to piggyback onto their tour, but we went to Olympia, Washington first, the Know Nothings. And um, my plan in Olympia was we were going to pick up trust fund kids to help us finance our tour, which we did, and that ended really badly. <laughs> wait, wait, this is like 2002 or something? This is in 98. 98? You were in Olympia? Oh, man. you probably We were in Albuquerque, New Orleans, and then Olympia. Probably knew some of the people in Olympia that you, I don't know who you bilked out of, a, or it wasn't like you're bilking them out of money, they just, uh... We kind of wanted to bilk them out of money, you know? <laughs> we weren't intending to, right. but then, like, I don't remember what fuck was wrong with me or was wrong with I don't, everyone that was with me but I think we went we tried to go from Olympia to New York in this <laughs> 36 foot English touring coach that we bought for a thousand dollars I learned how to drive stick in it on to the, this on day side, yeah yeah side, I had the driver's side on the right hand oh. side it was this beautiful bus that had, all of this is true by the way the bus had been knighted by the Queen of England because it had originally been part of the Queen's Royal Procession and one of the rules is anything that the queen may ever possibly place her blue blood butt in mm-hmm. has to be knighted. I think this goes back to horses and, and all this <laughs> shit. Who knows? The royal family makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but so this bus, we had this, we had this certification. So yeah, we kind of built them out of money because, for one thing, we tried to drive this bus built in 1969 in England. From Olympia to New York to start the Pennsylvania. That's where we went first. We went to a rainbow gathering in in Pennsylvania, and it was just awful. And um, wait, have you done this before? We had never performed at one. I had been to one yeah. the year before. That's where I met the girl that I started the circus with, Mickey. I was dating. All my stories are totally insane. <laughs> that's why. That's why I wanted to get you in here. <laughs> I had met her at this rainbow gathering while dating this other girl, but the other girl was was too crazy and too much of a Wiccan. And me and Mickey like were like, screw the rainbow gathering, and we hitchhiked back to her apartment in Albuquerque, because this rainbow gathering was in Flagstaff. And so we hitchhiked back to her apartment in Albuquerque and like had a great time, and then I was like, I'm wintering here. And then she, I, I had, my, my group of friends and I had been throwing around this word circus, but it didn't even mean anything. And then she had, like, friends that were circus people, and I was like, I'm going to move to Albuquerque, and we're going to start a circus, and we're going to build puppets out of trash, and we're going to change the world and have lots of sex. And so we kind of did, I guess. But when (laughs) you guys were talking, when the word circus was being bandied around, and you said she knew circus people, was there a clear idea that there was going to be this kind of alternative circus world and then like I don't know like there the already was like Chicken John had already did. I didn't uh-huh. know any of this stuff at the time there already was this burgeoning circus scene it wasn't even burgeoning I guess I mean Jim Rose did his thing in mm-hmm. the early, early 90s, 90s yeah. and then Chicken did Circus Ridiculous and then a lot of the people that were in the end of the world show were either ex-Circus Ridiculous or people who were never allowed to join Circus Ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs> they were all jilted. I remember most of the end of the world, people hated Chicken John. They were, and, and I didn't know Chicken for years, but people used to call me Little Chicken to insult me, <laughs> which is weird because it's not like Chicken is tall. 
What did you play when you did music also? I sang. You were the singer. So. I also, um, I played guitar for a while, and then I played, um, in the circus, uh, I played Latin percussion, um, and I played timbales. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've done a lot. I'm not a great musician. I really like to do it, but that doesn't mean I'm good at what it. What were the punk bands you were doing? Uh, I was in a hardcore band called 1984 with... Oh, I've heard of that. Really? Pittsburgh? Manchester, Connecticut. Okay, but it was the same it? town that, like, Jeff... Like, we used to play shows with uh, Jeff Kashid, who's now in, in you know, Jeff Kashid is ISIS and okay. uh, Red Sparrows, and he's doing a new project with Greg from Dillinger and uh, Julie Christmas called Spilacopa. Um, Cable is from there. Um, that scene produced a lot, a lot of stuff. I'm thinking of 1985. That's a band. <laughs> they, they must have been a rip-off band. I think now that my neck to the big of my eye. I think now so get blood. I think till then we've been for a Love is like a thousand solitaires. Here in the band, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they've been around forever. The ch- he was in one in the chamber. Okay, well, he's still in one in the chamber. Yeah. I just think they're not really doing shows anymore. And mm-hmm. um, he was involved with. I think I know he used to live with Matt from High on Fire, and I think they did a project or two together. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like Ian is a really good friend of mine, but I can't keep track of what bands he's in because it's usually three, and two of them are falling apart. You know, I wanted to like touch on the punk thing because we did mention how like having that background, and then when you enter the comedy world. There's okay. There's one thing. Maybe, yeah, you have to turn all your ideals around or figure out how to make them fit. This is a yeah. Okay, I was gonna say if you had the thing because when I was coming up through that was maybe around the time like Riot Girl was starting mm-hmm. and like everything was really and I was in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Everything was really like politically directed and really like ideology politics directed. And then like Berkeley is my baby, but I should have aborted it. I used to work with that guy. <laughs> had some doubts in the waiting room. <laughs> um, the the sense that I had. And also when I bring... And t- uh, do you know Jessica Seeley? No. She's like a, a young comic who moved here from Washington. And okay. she's also like queer and ha- brings a lot of her mm-hmm. queer friends to shows. And she's always like, I feel really bad bringing my friends to the shows because I feel like everyone's super sexist and it's like yeah. really offensive and they get really bummed out. And I've talked to her about this and I'm like, and you know... misogynistic. Exactly. And it's, like, it's a huge yeah. part of it. And... Uh, I read something you posted about, like, you know, like, if anyone, like, takes a pot shot at, like, a sex worker or anything like that, like, that's, you know, ground for a, just punch him in the face or something. But, yeah. I mean, that's, like, that's more complicated with everything else, but, um, you know. I've always felt that way, though, mm-hmm. even before I married a sex worker. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I, I've always felt that way because I would I would be at shows and I would just I would cringe like everybody uses the same crappy punchline of like oh yeah of course that stripper's just using it for college and like right. it's not funny for one thing yeah it's it's hack right um, yeah, it's just a played out thing and and it's also. It, it's also like, well, why are you casting aspersion on a woman using her sexuality in order to make a living and not explaining if this is so gross, what you were doing in a strip club? <laughs> true, true that. True There's that. always that angle to yeah. it. Like, no, none of these guys ever owns the fact that they were, like, lonely and horny and in a strip club by themselves. Coming with that kind of idea, and I'm not saying that everyone who's involved in punk was in, into it for political reasons or ideologies, or that there's even a coherent ideology. There's not a coherent ideology with punk, is what I think is interesting. But it is the DIY aspect. Yeah, it was always really fluid, which yeah, I thought yeah. was really funny. Um, because there was the scenesterism, and that was where all the people were like trying to follow this fluid idea mm-hmm. <laughs> that kept changing on yeah. them. And then there was just all of us involved in it who were like making it up as we went along. Right. And. Yeah. Did um, you find any of that? Because Olympia is kind of notorious for that. I don't know how you fit, how oh you God, fit yeah. in there. What Olympia's, was that all? What was 98 and Olympia? Olympia is a beautiful, awful, tragic little bubble. <laughs> it's so weirdly its own thing. Yeah, yeah it is. And it's like, I, it's like, I feel like it's this thing where sometimes I, I've had great times there and I've had this like mediocre times there. And it's like always like, I always like to keep the temperature. I like to get my know what the temperature is. They're all trying to justify about 40 political ideologies that are at odds with each other. (laughs) It's It's like Berkeley, but smaller. It's like even more, yeah, like it's more like a... Yeah, and there's nothing... In Berkeley, there's Oakland, right? Mm -hmm. Berkeley has influences other than Berkeley, Mm -hmm. and Olympia is just this little bubble stuck in the woods. So there's nothing else other than lumberjacks when you drive out of it. State employees, college kids, weird hippies. So this little tiny community of Mm -hmm. people that go to a college that doesn't have grades (laughs) are, you know, and they're all... And almost all of them are like Mensa level from rich parents Mm -hmm. who wanted to be hippies. Like, it's this really odd collection of people. <laughs> and I feel like people like us could somehow manage to teach a class there somehow if we just played our, played our cards right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, what are you going to teach them? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, were, were you guys all living in a house together? At this point, it's like seven people or something, your whole group? The whole know-nothings? Group was, yeah. At that point, I think it was, it was me, Mickey, Ludwig, Amy... Joshy, no, Joshy wasn't exactly with us. Um, we were picking up some of our members in Olympia too. Oh, really? And sadly, one of them died of of, uh, of leukemia. Uh, um, which, like, he, we just showed up, and he had these like lumps in his neck. He, like, literally, it looked cartoony. It looked like um, it looked like a Flintstone ear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, he didn't know what it was. And then very quickly, oh. like, it was very strange. Right, that was a, then lymph nodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get affected. Yeah, but no one was diagnosing it. Like, we showed up, and we were like, Bill, what's, what's up with your neck? And he's like, I don't know, I think it's a bacterial infection. And then, like, a week later, they're like, oh, my doctor says it's my wisdom teeth. And then he goes, to, the so he goes to the dentist, and we called. If I remember correctly, we called because we were supposed to pick him up. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you don't need to pick me up. There's a helicopter coming. And we're like, what? And he goes, it's not my wisdom teeth. I have advanced 
leukemia, and they literally sent a helicopter and picked him up. Oh, maybe he, he may, I think maybe he did come home and then packed a bag mm-hmm. because they were sending a helicopter to pick him up and fly him to Seattle to go into oh, the cancer man. ward. Um, see, again, I just totally derailed the story. No, no, no. There were seven of us. That's the answer to the question. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, uh, about. Right, right. Um, and, and about 1,100 clown suits. Okay, so this is it's like the, the circus is straight up juggling happening, clown stuff, no. like nothing. <laughs> it's more alternative yeah, we, than that. We did we did weird puppet stuff, uh-huh. and then eventually it just turned into um, the most shocking show ever. Our list of acts was like um, one of our clowns uh, would put a power drill down his urethra. Um, uh huh. Okay. His band is actually playing Benders tomorrow. It's called My Graveyard Jaw. Um, uh, yeah, he would do that. I did an act that banned us from multiple clubs where I shot an apple off an audience volunteer's head with a 9mm. Oh, shit. Um, our finale act was uh, our house musician um, doing... Uh, doing the bed of nails and he was honestly in my opinion the best bed of nails artist I've ever seen and then he would suck his own cock to finale the show on his bed of nails um, the act before that my girlfriend Mickey would do this uh, she would do an electricity act earlier in the show that was more a traditional sideshow, and then later in the show she would do this thing where she um, stood on her head and lit a light bulb in her vagina um, where's the power coming from? Is this like the way you can her, make a potato man. clock? Yeah, it's like a potato clock. So I don't. <laughs> I, vagina I, lamp. I don't reveal trade secrets. Okay. <laughs> what else did we do? We, I, I would walk with broken glass. You guys just made up your own routines, like just like. Or um, a lot of people came them? up with something that they wanted to do. I would write a bunch around it. We would all egg each other on as to things to do. Like we were around for years, and we were literally like. Once we started going in that direction, like my friend Ludwig would gargle his own piss to Iron Man. Um, I can vomit on command, so could peer pressure. Um, we did a few different acts. One of them was a thing where Pierre and Nostril would do this thing where Nostril dressed up like a baby bird and, and uh, chirp at Pierre's feet while he ate things and then vomited them into his mouth. Um, Wow. We also had a 13-piece band in one point. What the hell? And so this band... Uh, was... My friend Oro would... And this was actually... We, we were in Hustler, but in the, the article was supposed to be about the whole circus. And then they made him focus on Oro's act, where she, she would hang a six-pack of beer from her labia. Um, God, what else did we do? A lot of things that yeah. you probably shouldn't do to yourself. And this is like... Oh, yeah, so this had to be... There's no equivalent of open mic for the circus world right We had an show. open mic, We had an open mic that we would do when we were wintering. I was telling this story the other night. So the circus had this funny thing where everyone else was convinced it was a collective, and then I would continually yell, collectives don't work, I'm the boss, shut up. And so <laughs> the circus would always be doing... There was this... I was the bad guy, and there was always this, like, mutual antagonism. So they would always try to do things to get past me or make me angry, and it was this constant game for years. Were you like the P.T. Barnum, like the, the kind of the ring master? Yeah, except retarded. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I guess so. I was the MC. Pierre also <laughs> MC'd for a while. Um, 
but I was the MC. Um, and I, I did one or two acts, and I came up with things. I wrote a rock opera at one point, um, and it made no sense whatsoever, but people liked it. Um, but we we would we had this bar called the Hi Ho Lounge in New Orleans, and every Wednesday we did this thing we called an open mic, and it was a bunch of drunk people doing things, and then we would come up with new circus acts, and then people also kept saying that it was auditions for the circus, and I was like, these aren't auditions, I'm not taking any of these idiots. <laughs> But it was useful because, and keep in mind, in a lot of ways, we were just awful people. <laughs> and um, there was this one dude that kept asking me if he could be in the circus. And I said no. And he kept asking everybody else. And, and oh, also, all of our clowns had their makeup tattooed on. And the first one of those was this guy, Nostril Dumbass. And Nostril is just a phenomenon. And, um, and so Nostril told him this thing and he nostril comes running up to me and it's like I told this guy that if he can do this he can be in the show and I was like well you know he can't be in the show and he goes let's get him to do this and I'm like okay <laughs> and what he had done is he had told the guy that he could come with us on tour if he could eat a gallon jar of mayonnaise on stage Whoa. and so so we go to our open mic and this guy's like all psyched about this and um and I'm like, God, I gotta MC this and make this funny. And me and Pierre co emceed it. And oh. so we get this guy, and um, we, we go, he's really been wanting to join the show. Um, blah, blah, blah. And I pull out a chair and a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and we introduce him, and he's like raising his arms like a pro wrestler, and everybody claps for him, get him down. And I tell him, I tell him if you can eat that entire jar of mayonnaise, In five minutes or less. Oh. And he looks at me and I was like, dude, we've got to keep this show moving. <laughs> we can't be watching you eat mayonnaise for two and a half hours. I'm going to light you at four minutes. <laughs> and, so I'm, and I'm like, this is just awful. And it was disgusting to watch. And so he sits down with this gallon jar of mayonnaise oh. with this bucket in between his feet. And he starts going for it. Oh. And me and Pierre are both am seeing it, just describing how awful it must feel. And like, both of us are actually kind of worried I don't know what this much mayonnaise will do to the human I, body. I don't think that they've done that to rats. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. so worried this guy's just going to choke or keel and yeah. die, yeah. like, with mayonnaise, like, pouring out of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's going for it, and he's going for it, and we're just describing how disgusting it is, too. Like, we're not making this any easier at all. It's just awful <laughs> from beginning to end. And, like, right at the end, we're counting down ten. Nine, and he's shoveling with this gigantic oh. spoon into his face, oh. and he finally, like, w- like right at right at one second, he like rings the uh, <laughs> the the spoon around the thing and turns the mayonnaise jar upside down, and we go, "You did it!" And he goes, <laughs> and vomits all oh. one gallon of mayonnaise into the bucket, and I look at him and I go, "I forgot to mention, you have to hold it down." Oh, <laughs> you guys were assholes. Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> Really God. It wasn't my idea. We would just egg each other on into these like horrible things. We were were you guys doing had day jobs or anything at that time? Or you're squatting, no, right? You don't really need, well, no, we weren't squatting, but I think we were paying like twenty dollars a month for a rent. We had this gigantic warehouse. It was three stories tall, called the Ass Palace, um, and mostly we would just hang out there doing. We, we had an art studio. Everybody made money different ways. Um, you know, like I would street perform. Um, I wasn't making huge money as a street performer then, but I mean, like, 
in New Orleans, you figure out, like, in New Orleans, you learn a thing about money, and that's, money is moving around, and all you have to do if you want some of it is put yourself in the way of where it's traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would, like, during Mardi Gras, like, you're not allowed to paint faces on Bourbon Street, but I'm fast, so I would just <laughs> go down and paint faces, and I'd make, like, $500 in two hours. Right, right. You know, I painted this, this Starship Enterprise on this girl's breasts one time and it was really funny. I was like, this is with, the dumbest thing. With the areola like right here? I tried, I, well, <laughs> I had to watch out for cops and so I was like, trying to like keep an eye out. The uh, nipples the police there the will kill you. You know, really? like. Are they totally tough? The, 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 they're the biggest street gang in New Orleans. They're crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. She was like, can you do the Starship Enterprise? And I was like, my mom's a big Trekkie, I guess. <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> So then, okay, so when did the transition happen from the circus into stand-up comedy? Um, the circus was, like, exploding in 2004, and I had a friend that did comedy, and then I realized, like, that's all I'd been doing was speak, like, that's mostly what I did in the circus, was right. just talking. yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going to move on to comedy, but I hate comedy. And what was the precedent for you hating comedy? So much of it is just, like, I, I grew up on comedy. I don't, you know, like, I love George Carlin. I love Bill Hicks. Um, but I wasn't super into comedy. And most comedy is, like we said, like, the majority, or at least the perception, I think it's definitely changing now. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more creative people in it. But comedy just got really stagnant, and it just, you know, I mean, you... you yeah, I mean, like, what we're talking women about, like, differently. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And it's just, it, it, it's just a string of dumb shit stereotypes that are supporting each other. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like one of the worst things about comedy and comedians is, like, they broadcast the worst parts of their psyche as well as their most boring parts. And then they pat themselves on the back for them. And then, like... It's the opposite of therapy. Like, it's, it's how to take everything that's wrong with you and exacerbate it. Right, right. I can see that. Oh, I feel like there was, like, maybe you would have probably been into, like, British comedy, maybe. I do like, like British comedy. Like yeah, that. like, uh, and, like the, like, the kids in the hall or things like that mm-hmm. that are, like, there was definitely stuff. I know what you're talking about, and I, I think... Like, I think Billy Connolly is one of the most brilliant things ever. I need to really check out a whole special of his, because people keep saying that he's, he's like, really, like... Yeah, he's really amazing. Because in America, he's not... I mean, he was, like, the guy that had a class for a while. He's not as well-known, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of people who think are great in England that aren't really well-known here, but, um, but yeah. You know, one of the things about English comedy, and I think this holds me back a little bit, too, because I want to be this way, but the industry doesn't want me to be this way, is a lot of English comics are a little bit more long-form. Even if they're doing short jokes and stuff, they're doing like real subtle callbacks mm-hmm. and just a, lo- a lot of I, I don't know. It's more long form. It's yeah. like like you're like if you close your eye. Yeah, Matt is like that. He's there's a lot of like really in, and I in, think that, and callbacks. I think that he's yeah. very very palatable for American audiences. He's mm-hmm. hilariously funny, yeah. but. Yeah. But, yeah, he's got that very English thing where he hits you with a callback that you never saw coming, like, a good 15 minutes later. So who was the guy that you were friends with? Was he kind of, like, mentoring you into, like, just, like, going with you to open mics when you started? Or how did that work out? 
No, although I did start with Sean Patton in New Orleans. Oh, you did? He's fucking great. He's so good now. Yeah, and both of us sucked. And um, he started at the same time. He started maybe a year before me in New Orleans. Yeah. And there's nowhere to be a comedian in New Orleans. Really? And, okay. and um, I hadn't run into Sean Patton or realized how good he'd gotten oh my until, like, I don't know, five months ago. I saw him a and, year. And he just, like, tore it up at Power Violence in L.A. And I walked up to him, and he was, like, drunk. And I, he was being kind of rock starry. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, we started together. We used to, we used to both. I was like, you did my show because it was the only show in town other than the show you did. <laughs> right. Because like, and it was like it, two of you guys in New there's, Orleans. There's like one open mic in New Orleans, uh-huh. and well, it's it may be different now, but it, it's probably another it's like room, 2002 but exactly the or same. three or yeah, two of them. Yeah, yeah, 2003, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a room at Carrollton Station, and when you would do it, it was once a week. And when you would do it, people had driven there for four hours to tell the worst jokes. And, right. like, very quickly, I was like, well, if I want to do comedy, sure as shit ain't doing it here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, there wasn't enough stage time to be had, and everyone in that scene was awful, me mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sean was funny then, but he was open mic funny, and mm-hmm. he's still very standard. It's nowhere near what he's doing yeah, now. He, he's an amazing storyteller. I like the things that I've seen him do mm-hmm. are just basically stories, but yeah. he just they're so good. I, and yeah, I don't know if he's super well known to people outside the comedy nerd world. Well, this is in, this could be a good segue into talking about, you're going to do this show in San Francisco. And Stageworks, yes. And you're going to be doing an hour? Yeah. And you like yeah? Have you done this hour before? Is this something yeah. you've been done? You've been doing it, okay? So I mean, I've I've been you've been doing stand up for a long. I've time. been doing stand up for eight years. Right, right, right. Um, uh, some of this stuff is stuff that was written recently. Um, I'll decide what I'm putting on it mm-hmm. at the end of it. I actually think I'm going to try and do not three completely different sets. But I think what I'm going to try and capture before we go into editing is probably about 90 minutes of material, mm-hmm. maybe two hours, <clears throat> um, and then in post we'll we'll edit it down to, to make it the the best I can. And your idea is you want to do like a online only kind of release, like a yeah. concert video. Um, what I want to do is is I have multiple problems with the comedy industry. One of them is. There's a series of compliments and backhanded compliments that I would get all the time. I, I think that I'm good. I think that I really like what I do. And I think I know the people that also really like what I do. And like I just said to you before, like a lot of them are not the kind of people that will normally go see an unknown comedian. Therefore, I can't build my audience in comedy clubs the way that I would like. Also... Um, you know, I road work, like, even if you do great, the club owner wants you to be dumber. Mm-hmm. Like, I would get this thing all the time where, like, club owners would say things like to me, like, I think you're brilliant, but I think you're too smart for the idiots that come to my club. Which is awful. Like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Like, wh- why, don't you, why don't you stop attracting idiots? Yeah. And, like, um, if, and why do you feel, like, you take these people's money every night and you think they're all, like, I... It just, it makes me upset in so many different ways. But the thing is, is like, I I think that there's, I think that there are 
plenty of people out there that like what I do. Yeah. And, and like, there wasn't a way to get to them before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that old saying, like, freedom of the press only applies to those that can afford a printing press. And before the internet age, we all had to play this game. Well, I didn't want to play that game that the comedy industry wanted me to play. I felt like if I started writing dumber jokes, then the people that really, really do like me would stop really liking me. And I wouldn't like my act. I didn't become an artist to pander. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I wanted to follow somebody else's rules, I'd wear a suit and I'd make a lot more money and I'd do real estate. You were in the Bay for... Yeah, and I was, here, I was here from like 2004 until um, 2009. So your whole comedy oeuvre just was developed in the Bay Area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely would think of myself more of a San Francisco comic because I was going... Yeah, I didn't build... I didn't build one joke in New Orleans that I told even a year later. <laughs> I built my whole act here. And you have, so you were, at a certain point, you were doing, making a living doing it and touring and doing... I made my entire living as a street performer, mm-hmm. and that's how I supported doing comedy. Okay. Where this is like going down to like Union Square and stuff? Or? Uh, I wouldn't work Union Square. I'd work the wharf, and then I'd travel too. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was that act? Uh, it was basically 90 minutes of comedy um, wrapped around eating fire and walking on broken glass uh-huh. that if I were to do what I did in my show and not talk, it would take me about 114 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> just, right, right, right. Okay. Most of my show was not doing anything. <laughs> did you have to buy time at Fisherman's Wharf on no. the stage? No. What's up with the I don't stage area? I don't work the stage. You just, you're off on the side. I won't, I won't yeah. touch the stage. There's a much better spot. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much because it's a long, long thing. I okay. actually got in a legal fight with the port and the city because they started permitting the, the area oh, that I worked. Okay. And they basically destroyed what's brilliant about street performing. And, mm-hmm. the, and the wharf is a mess now. And mm-hmm. it used to be really good shows. I remember going to see that shit when I was a kid. Yeah, I'd see some guy doing like a comedy juggling combo and we'd just be sitting there all mm-hmm. huddled in our coats. And yeah. It was awesome. I remember that stuff. Well, street performing, the problem was is I was fighting trying I was tr- fighting trying to protect something that most people don't know exists. Like, a great street performer can really challenge ba- boundaries. Like, my show involved around trying to get you to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, I, you know, it was dirty, it was crass, you know, like, it was challenging all sorts of lines. And there were other people like me. They were the ones that inspired me to be that way. And it's like... It's like this really pure form of anarchy because people aren't supposed... It's a sidewalk. They're not supposed to be... Yeah. There's not supposed to be 250 of them standing there watching you for 90 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's against... But, and, and, they're, and they're a diverse crowd. Like, they're a more diverse crowd than you'll ever get in a club because the people that are in a club have been filtered by the fact that they wanted to go there. Right. And the streets, you just grab everybody that walked by and, you know, you have people that don't speak English standing right next to, like you know, like little metalhead kids from Iowa and uh-huh. like you have this crazy diverse crowd that just decided to mean, stop. You, you led them, but they're still like you know, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So many people have never seen it. It's more and like any and, yeah. and I never told people in the comedy industry as a street performer because if I did people would be like, Oh that's cool. So you like juggle and put out your hat and I'm like, no, I scream profanities at people for ninety minutes and convince a crowd of 250 people to give me $20 bills for being rude. No, seriously, folks, don't just walk off like that cheap bastard right there. (laughs) 
He got pissed off because I called him out on a job interview. He's like, Dan, don't have any damn money. This sucks. <laughs> you know, he goes, seriously, do step forward, shake my hand. That means a lot to me, a lot more than just seeing some douchebag turn his back after 45 minutes. It's okay, we can call him a douchebag. Take a look at that, dude. Odds are about 70 to 1. <laughs> it's okay. The kids don't know what douchebag means. It means the greatest father in the world. <laughs> I taught my friend's kid that the other day. And then I flew out of town. <laughs> Sometimes I'm awesome. Here we go. Okay. Okay. I can do this. Then again, maybe I can't. You guys don't know. Maybe I can't survive this at all. <laughs> maybe I'm just a suicidal exhibitionist. Woke up today like, I'm going to end it all, but first, I'm going to build a crowd of 150 children. Ruin their lives. <laughs> like Disneyland in hell. Here we go. Oh, man. Okay. Ow! Crap. Thanks for laughing now, dude. That's nice of you. Hang on a second. I'm not laying on that one because it's my show. Matter of fact, not that one either. Not this one. This one. This one. This one. Get that one out. Yeah, you're right. This one looks dangerous. Oh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I didn't want that one out. No, you're right. Here, let's get that one. Let's get that one out. I don't want to get a paper cut. You suck. Oh, man. I should have sent that tape to Comedy Central. Hang on, let's get that out of there. I don't even know what that is. I don't think I need to lay on copper to oppress you. <laughs> oh, it's from Basil Havens. This crowd doesn't know what that is. It's expensive. Here we go. Don't worry, I didn't drink it. Man, I should have sent that tape to Comedy Central. I'd be flying in Africa with Dave Chappelle right now. Nope, it's dead. <clears throat> Still out here on a street corner, risking my life for a bunch of retarded tourists that want to watch me die. <laughs> and that was paying, paying the way so you could lose money doing comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be a pattern I've seen with a lot of people. When I talk to a lot of people about it, you're always taking a loss on that. But who are some of those other. Was there a camaraderie around the street performer world? Like you, There's a camaraderie amongst circle shows, like guys like me that build a crowd, do a mm -hmm. show. Um, and we try, and there, and there's an international community of us, you know, like, um, and we all get along with each other very, very well. And, um, even when we hate each other, street performers are, are part of an international family and we're like, you know, to this day, like there's probably 11 different countries I can fly into that I don't technically know anyone, but I would have a place to crash if I wanted to, even if that person hated me. I mean, that's the rule among street performers. Okay. It's like, you know, even if, per, like, and street performers come stay at my house, and sometimes I'm, I don't really like them, and I don't even like their show, but, like, they're that part is of like the, being in a band. Yeah. yeah. They're part of the family, so, you know, you're, I'll cook you food, and you're allowed yeah. to be in the house. Exactly. And, um, and I may just repeatedly call you names, but that's okay. Yeah. So that's, you're kind of, you kind of overlap a bunch of different worlds, so that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm never on. satisfied with anything. Mm -hmm. I don't like myopic scenes, but no scene isn't myopic. So, yeah, like I bounce around like with the Cacophony Society Underground Arts scene, and then 
they get on my nerves in certain ways, and then I hang out with street performers, and I really love them, but they get on my nerves in certain ways, and I hang around with comedians, and they get on my nerves in certain ways. And the Chicken John people. Yeah, well, that's what I meant when I say cacophony and yeah, underground. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know. I'm friends with a lot of Satanists. and <laughs> Yeah. So you're just... I, you're, I like freaks and weirdos. You, you like know? freaks and weirdos, but you're never totally satisfied and just settling with these people in a way or yeah I don't know but I, I think it's more like just a hungry for experience kind of thing you know yeah I mean I think that's why in the 90s and the 80s that's why we all became punks it wasn't because we wanted mohawks and leather jackets it was because we wanted something other in some way we viewed what, whatever was around us as drudgery and we wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. We wanted to find something interesting, find something with meaning, mm-hmm. or find, you know what I mean? And, and I think I'm still like that. Oh, I think the one thing I was thinking about, and it is kind of related to like, like why I like asking people about family stuff, because I feel like part of what, at least my experience is, I kind of did the same thing. Like I'd be in a different group for maybe two or three years and kind of build something there. And the more I think about it now, I'm like, I was kind of trying to build my own family unit. Yeah. Which is, you know, the support structure of friends is usually just that. But um, I've been talking about that a lot with friends lately, about how chosen family is quite often much more powerful and much stronger bonds oh, that's than, like, than yeah, blood family. That's kind of a good segue, I guess, in a talk. Because I think, about I think a lot of us now. are like that. We're just, yeah. you know, we, we moved on and, I don't know, like I always call my friends like the Isle of Broken Toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's a re- I, Comics are definitely, I feel like that's the majority of comics, too. Like, there's some kind of psychological... I think it's the majority of artists. Right. In general. Mm -hmm. Comics are like that, but people would only say that more about comics because we wear it on our sleeve, kind of, you know? Right, right. You don't think about a certain, like, you know, high art painter person Mm -hmm. as being in the same zone. But I think for, at least being drawn to, like, punk, a lot of it is just, like, anti-authoritarian... Like, you have issues with, like, authority figures. And, like, that's kind of what I think I associated with it. Like, cause I, I definitely felt like I had that coming up. Yeah. But, um... I was definitely looking for for that as well as something that supported creativity more. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you being from the Bay Area, maybe that wasn't someone... I, I was living... You know, I lived in Seattle when I was younger. But most of the time, like, I lived around people that were very blue-collar mm-hmm. and they're their goals in life were to continue to be blue collar. Like, like a blue collar people really got brainwashed. <laughs> you know, they believe yeah. in, they believe in never take a dollar that you didn't earn. However, the people that run this country are all about take $5 that you earned and then figure out how to make that $5 into $35 while you do something else. Like, that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, like, you know... It's, it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> like the blue-collar people, it's so self-defeating, and there's this pride about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I denigrate that, but we, when you grow up in that, like, you know, you try to be an artist or whatever, and people are like, well, yeah, but what are you going to do for money? And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I'm watching you be miserable for money. So how about... I figure out how to not care about money. How about, how about that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I feel like I, I kind of had a similar realization. I was like, you know, like I never like played music to make money and I never like did any of like the artistic projects I did to make money. And I accomplished that. Yeah. You accomplished not making any money. 
Congratulations. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I pat myself on the back. I was talking about it. Not anybody could not do it. (laughs) I had the follow through. I had the real follow through. (laughs) You know, coming from my background. So, um, uh, so now, so you're doing comedy in SF. You end up in LA at some point? Is that? I was in LA. I, I, I took off and I toured. Yeah, you, you did a lot of traveling. Yeah, I went to Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. Um, and then I wound up in LA. Um, and I was kind of miserable there, but I was just starting to like it. Um, uh, and that's when my girlfriend got sicker and, um, I came up here to take care of her again. And so now I'm back in San Francisco. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to stay here or not. Um, one of the reasons I'm moving forward with this special is I think that it'll be really helpful for my career. Um, I don't think it's going to make me rich. I don't think it's going to make me famous, but I think it'll make it a little bit easier to be on stage every night and pay the rent. And I think that's good enough. That's like, all I ever cared about. Like it'll help you get booked. Yeah, yeah. and I think that it'll also help um, for international festivals and stuff. And mm-hmm. and where I'm at right now, like I really want to be... like If I can establish two months of work in Australia, two months of work in the UK, and then work both here in LA, like I could be happy with that. Do people freak out about your, uh, royalty bits in, in the UK? Have you done that over there? I've never performed in the UK. Um, okay. I've, I've done those bits in Australia and they just think they're hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm... I actually was wondering about that because I wanted to do Edinburgh and I was like, I wonder if you can say that the queen has tentacles. <laughs> I feel like the thing with the royalty there and it's, the same thing I talked to. I would be totally willing to do it just to see if I get arrested, though. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like it's the same thing. Like, we're, we're beyond the point of getting arrested for saying fuck. No one cares if you say fuck anymore. Unless you're but in I Russia, if, apparently. But if, I think if... Well, yes, but, you know, that's Russia. Yeah. But I think if I got arrested for implying... Um, that the, the queen was a was a trans dimensional inbred elder god in um, in Britain. That would be nothing but good for my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. My so goal, you ended up my in, goal is is mm-hmm. like I said, I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? Almost all the bands that I listen to are releasing their things for free online. Um, I'm a huge like I'm a huge fan of open source and data. Um, I think that the internet and open source mentality is changing the world entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that way about the music industry, about entertainment. It's, it's like, well, you know, you're going to have to stop making money on merch. You just change the pricing model. Just, ex- you know, stop fighting piracy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I used to drag around Frankenchrist when I was 13 with, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you turn the cassette over, it said piracy yeah. is killing the music industry. We left like, this side blank so you can help. <laughs> yeah. I've been of that opinion since I was a little kid. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know what? There's people out there that like what I do. So I'm going to dump all of my resources into recording the nicest hour long special that I can. And then I'll release it for free online. Mm-hmm. I don't expect it to go viral, but I, I look at it and I'm like, I can book a rock club rather than a comedy club. I'm fine with that. And if I have 20 people in 20 towns that will pay seven to 10 bucks to see me, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, it's, you know, and then it's, then the next year there'll be 25. I'm fine with that. That's totally fine with me. That's all I want. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that 
Um, you live in San Francisco. <laughs> the, problem is, the problem is that I didn't start promoting uh-huh. the show until yesterday. Yeah, well, I you've been dealing with a lot nights. of stuff. Yeah, so. I've, there's, um, with what I was going through, I came, on the day that I lost her, I had been so motivated in taking care of her. I basically thought I was invincible. I was like, I, was, I had been going a million miles an hour for months, and I was also like, okay, well, this is going to hurt worse than anything has ever hurt me in life. So that's it. I'm done, right? Nothing can stop me anymore. I might so I need to back up the, yeah, because for the sake of, like, I know what you're talking about, but I might need to explain going back a little bit. Because you ended I up I kind of don't want to talk. You don't have to talk about it. Okay. If people you, look me up, they can find me. Yeah, you can story. look it up. You, But you came up here to deal with the, the cancer stuff. Yes, and I, then, and I, then, so, I yeah. met the yeah. love of my life on January 1st. Um, I quickly, I was resistant to dating her at first, and then I fell in love with her, um, and then she had stage four cancer when I met her, but I didn't really realize that. Um, I knew she had cancer, and she'd already had a mastectomy, uh, but I'll make the story as fast as possible. I mean, if it's... Um, it's but I'll, I'll just yeah. tell it, because you're right, it's got, it's, it makes sense in the thing. Um, in March, she sent me a text that said the cancer had moved into her remaining breast. I texted her back, and I said, do you want me to come? And she said, yes. And so dropped everything and I moved back to San Francisco to help take care of her and to be with her mm-hmm. and in April her condition started going really out of control she had a really extremely aggressive form of breast cancer and she um, um, we admitted her into the hospital in May uh, with extreme chemo sickness and dehydration uh, she stayed in that hospital for a long time on June 3rd I proposed to her at 3 in the morning and at 11 in the morning, her team of doctors came in and informed us that her cancer had metastasized to the lining surrounding her brain. We got married on June 10th, um, and two weeks later, I was able to take her home into hospice to the apartment I had gotten for us, and on July 3rd, she took her last breath while I held her hand. Um, and then... I'm going to transition right into talking about something else. No, no yeah, yeah, no, go, go for it. I just, uh, sorry. Just, just to get this I can't even get that in, in um, there. And yeah. she's, a, she's a beautiful lady, and um, she's an incredible person. And if you look me up, you can find out who she is. And if you want to look into her life more, I suggest yeah. that you do, because she was incredible. Um, but anyway. And I'm um, me that I've only met you in the last few months, so this is yeah, all been going on. Yeah, It's a big story, and I also am trying to live past it now, too. No, no, that's going to say that's part but, of this, right? Yeah. And that's part of why I'm doing this. And But the thing is, is like, so I walked out of that. I, am, I, I had planned to do this in March before mm-hmm. I even moved up. I planned it for July 6th and 7th. and To do it in the Bay or to do it in LA? To do it in the Bay at Stageworks. Um, and... In May was when she was getting really, really, really bad, and I called Ty at Stageworks, and I was like, I'm going to have to cancel. There's no way I can do this right now. Um, she was like, that's fine. And basically, after Holly died, I was like, okay, well, I have to go. I have to do this now. This is my – I am I need to I need to move forward with things. It's the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. And so I called her up, and I was like, okay, I want to book some new dates. And she goes, how about August – she goes, I got August, this, this. And I was like, actually, instead of two, let's do three nights. Because I was feeling all invincible. And I was like, I'm going to get off the phone, and I'm going to do the write-ups, and I'm going to print posters, I'm going to do this. And I got off the phone, and I walked back inside. And then I spent the next month laying on the floor, <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. And I'm yeah. still kind of in that state. Um, 
but you gave yourself a deadline in a way. I should have started promoting this like five weeks ago. I'm promoting it now. I'm going to print up a big stack of flyers. Um, Yeah. But if you, anybody listening to this would like to come, not only am I pretty funny, but I'm also performing with Bucky Sinister, yeah. who is incredible. He's a great storyteller and awesome guy, also from the punk scene, yeah. and a self-help author. And Natasha, um, and Natasha Muse, who was voted the funniest trainee in San Francisco, which there is competition for that in the okay. city. <laughs> um, yeah. she, I think she's really brilliant. No, she's great, yeah. Um, so, August... 30th, 31st, and September 1st at Stageworks. Mm-hmm. Tickets are available at browntapertickets.com for $10 presale. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love it. And he's funny. Me. I'm vouching, and I'm, I'm interviewing the guy. I've seen him. I've seen his act. So, uh, and you... I think I'm funny. You know, I mean, you also, the hour that you're doing, you know that, so it's more like the promotion that you're stressed out about. You're not stressed oh, yeah, out about yeah, the show. I'm never, like, you know, when I was going through everything and all the comedians knew what I was doing, they would you were call me all sets. the time and they would be like, I was doing sets constantly, yeah. and they would be like, do you want to cancel? And I'd be like, what do you mean do I want to cancel? I was like, I'm battling cancer. Like, I don't know how to do that. I know how to comedy. I can comedy all day. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, I, like, I, I, I would go through, I, I like, that talking to doctors yeah. and, and running all over the city and doing this and doing this, yeah. and then I go do a set. Well, that's like a the, break. I've been doing this forever. I know how to do it. Like mm-hmm. I could succeed, and then the people would clap, and then I could feel good, and then I go right back yeah. into fighting this losing battle. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I remember I booked you before I knew about exactly what was happening, and uh, yeah, and I was, I, I just wanted to give you the out. Like if you need the time. Yeah, to and do whatever. a lot of people said that to yeah. me, and I was like, no way, you're, you booked me. I'm there. I'm so there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and, and yeah, you, I mean, I think I saw you the day after and I didn't realize that had happened. Or like you, you didn't did, see me the day after. The business show. Oh, you were you at the business show? I was at the business show. show. Yeah. Was that, that, the, w- that was weird. It was the day after. Um, we were keeping the news right. quiet at that mm-hmm. point. And so I couldn't really talk about it. I was in, I was in a really weird state of shock. Yeah. It's really weird because... When you go through something like that, um, the most, like, I was in pain from day one. I was losing it, but I had been in pain, too, like, watching her go through this. It was awful. Um, And it didn't really start to hit until weeks after, and it's still, I'm still in that state now. I have more hours where I'm together, but like I looked at my Facebook from last night, and apparently I just had a big freak out. And like I've been following Facebook, <laughs> I never misspell anything, and I'm going through my comments on it, and I'm like, was I typing with my face? What was I doing? <laughs> you're just I'm noticing then, you're misspelling. As I'm reading it this morning, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm noticing there's a towel next to the computer, and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, apparently I poured an entire beer all over the floor. <laughs> And there's, like, dents in the table from me punching it. (laughs) Apparently Eric had a little night is what (laughs) happened. I don't Uh, remember doing it. Is your place furnished? (laughs) Or is it all your stuff? Is it you're going to get your deposit back? Um, No, it's it's furnished with with me and Holly's furniture and her stuff. And -hmm. And the cat. You have the cat cat now. The loud, loud cat. Mm -hmm. Not this one. (laughs) Which, if she can hear my voice anywhere out there through the power of digitization, I just wanted to know that the cat meows now, and he meows a fucking lot, and he's really annoying. (laughs) And he doesn't speak English, so I can't ask him what he wants.
much. I, um, I honestly didn't want to talk about okay. any of that stuff I'm sorry. At all. Sorry but about that. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. You, I've only I known you for a couple months. I can't talk yeah. about it right now. You know, it was, it was a little more than a month ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally and it was the biggest thing probably I hope it was the biggest thing that will ever happen no. in my life anything bigger ever happens I know my chest will cave in on itself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no, you're you're trying to like do your thing you're going to do your shows um, you think you're going to maybe move back to LA I don't know um, the goal is to put this thing together immediately start submitting to like Melbourne Comedy Fest and stuff like that I like San Francisco I'm a little bit more established in LA Mm-hmm. now than I was when I first showed up there and there are a lot of things that I like about LA so what I would like to do is try to establish myself as working in and out of the country as much as possible as well as here in LA Yeah, and that I, could, I think that San Francisco is simultaneously a really great place and a really bad place for comedy you know yeah like I've been trying to suss that out with people it seems like people hit a ceiling and they've got to bounce yeah they just, but it's also a more pleasant place to live that's true in LA yeah. L.A., like, there's good things, there's bad things. And I have a few things coming up. Yeah, um, you're just in a movie, right? It's not a movie. It's a web series. It's a web series. And when it was first pitched to me, I was just like, that sounds fun. Because basically what happened is is my friends put together this Batgirl web series. And the, the Batgirl they're using is Stephanie Brown, who, who none of them felt like she had been ever fleshed out enough in the comics. So they wanted to do this fan fiction thing. And when it was first thrown at me... My friend Sachs was like, hey, dude, I wrote you into this thing yeah. as a villain. He's basically you, <laughs> and he's based on that symbol that you have stenciled on the back of your jacket. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, I don't, what, what, I don't it's, know the stencil. It's yeah. tentacles that are in the oh, form okay. of DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, his name is Tentacle, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And at first I was like, I'm a, ba- I'm a Gotham City supervillain? That's awesome. <laughs> but I figured, oh, fan fiction, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then, um, and then I guess in like February, he had told me, and I was like, sure, I'll do it. That sounds fun. And then in February, he's like, hey, dude, we're shooting some of the Batgirl stuff. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to need you today, but do you want to come by anyway? And I was like, I got nothing to do. That sounds fun. And I show up, what I didn't realize is that everyone involved in this is legit industry. They're doing this as a labor of love. Like, there's props on the table from Battlestar Galactica. Like, all these people work in television and movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also didn't notice that they had gotten, I didn't know until then, that they had gotten the fight choreographer and motion director that worked on Star Trek um, and Thor. And so I show up, and what I think is going to be this dinky little web Mm -hmm. series is the best Batgirl outfit that I've ever seen in this tough-as-nails girl named Marisha Ray, who's awesome. Um, and they're filming 17-hour days of the most intense fight scenes I've ever seen. And everyone's just donating their time and labor. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and these fight scenes aren't like, biff, biff. It's like Batgirl like, comes in on this rope, and 15 guys descend on her, and she hits this guy. This guy picks her up. She kicks these two guys in the face. She flips wow. this one. And I was just giddy. I was like, this is amazing. She's going to get to be the next girl with a dragon tattoo or something. That's what's <laughs> um, going to happen this thing, this. this thing should look great. Like, Can you find it on YouTube right now? Or is yeah, there, yeah. Is if you, anything if up? you look up Batgirl Spoiled, mm-hmm. um, there's a bunch of buzz as well as the trailer. And that's the other thing that I was going to say. Um, the trailer is cool, but all of us are slightly disappointed in it. All of us on the Batgirl team. But the reason that we're disappointed in it is because... As we've now filmed a couple episodes, and 
everybody's figuring this thing out. So it's getting better and better and better. So I look at the trailer and I'm like, oh, the tra-. like when I saw the rough edit of the trailer three months ago, I was like, awesome. And now I look at it and I'm like, that's nothing. Because the new stuff looks, you, you know what I'm saying? It yeah, looks yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Once you, you kind of have all those things. And we'll be going to, and- um, to comic book conventions and doing uh, live fights and stuff. We're going to Kamikaze. Is in- anyone from DC like kind of champing at the bit about this? Or So far, not one word. Um... The thing is, is we're pretty sure as long as none of us make any money on it, mm-hmm. they won't sue us. Okay. And it's basically a very, please don't sue us. We love comics. Mm-hmm. This is why we're doing this sort yeah. of thing. Um, one of the reasons my character was created was Sax felt that if we created a character, that it would it re- reduces the likelihood Right. He he likes me. He likes me as a personality. He mm-hmm. thought I would be a good Batgirl villain. Yeah. And if we created me, we created my character, then it's less of DC's foot yeah. we're stepping on. That was the logic there. And I can also see, like, in the same way, and I mean it's in a complimentary way, like, you would be, like, a perfect, like, Riddler-type person or something. I've been, yeah, like, people are, people always go, like, oh, yeah, you would be a really good Batman villain and I'm being, I'll, I'll be like I've been grooming myself as a super villain since I was in my teens like, look at my old headshots it's like me with red hair and a green suit like cross processed against yeah. this crazy background and I think there's something to that like I, I mean I, I think like I've like I grew up on comic yeah. books I always and I'm a life as, ar- as arter like I've always been like if you build it they will come and if you live it it'll be real like you know like I still read like psychedelic out there comics to this day I, I, I like it was the biggest compliment that I could be given to yeah be, to be not only a Batman villain but a Batman a customized villain, a customized one based yeah. on me I was like oh that's rad yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think about like this thing that Biafra said when he was doing uh, like he his whole thing was when he started he's like instead of being like the John Wayne character or the good guy he's like the bad guy is always more interesting yeah and that's like I think a perfect yeah. Well, I, I I've been heavily influenced by the offer too mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, I remember that same statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely. And I've always too. felt that way too. Like mm-hmm. you know, and I grew up on westerns too. You know, and like western villains, especially in old spaghetti westerns, like they're just these brilliantly awful people. <laughs> Acting scares the crap out of me. I'm like, I'm going to watch this and it's going to be awful. Weird, that's weird. Scares you more than doing stand-up, which is... For some reason, I'm really comfortable with stand-up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know your set, I guess, is the thing. You're you're not beholden to another person when you do your routine. Yeah. Yeah, and stand-up allows for a lot of self-delusion. As long as you trick the people into clapping and laughing, you can convince yourself at the time that you're awesome. I think as long as you keep feeling slightly differently about what you're doing, mm-hmm. keep changing what you're doing, then you're evolving as an artist. Like, the whole point of this is just to, like, grow, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did music for a really long time, mm-hmm. and that was kind of my thing. And I was, like, in the point where I was, like, I was promoting shows, I was playing in bands, I was running a record label, I worked at a label, I had all this stuff where it was just, like, I couldn't get out of it in a weird way. Like, I was just, mm-hmm. like... My whole social life and everything creatively was wrapped around that. And I kind of feel like the only in the last year was I able to take a break from it. And that's the only time I was able to be like, oh, I really, the comedy thing, I get the same jolt of like validation and like crowd 
contact yeah. that I was dividing and diluting with music. Uh-huh. You know, splitting that up. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is like when you know, and you you were in a band, so you know how that goes. Yeah, and I was talking to Violet from Extra Action the other day, and she was talking about that because I think a lot of us as performers had this weird duality of being total extroverts and total introverts at the same time. Like, um, like quite often, I don't want anyone to talk to me at a comedy club. I don't want anyone to talk to me, and then I go up on stage and I want everyone to clap for me, and then I come off and I just want to just curl into a ball mm-hmm. and you know Violet was like yeah she was like she's being all sarcastic she's like yeah yeah I don't know anything about that and I was like yeah but you get to hide behind you know a 14 piece marching band with an mm-hmm. 11 member flag team that's half naked she goes yeah I know and, you know in comedy you're just naked you're like <laughs> you're just standing up there holding this microphone with a light on you as if what you have to say matters <laughs> so what do you were you cognizant that when you started, things were not good, or that you thought the jokes were really like, I, these oh are yeah, good no, jokes. no, no, I knew that I was really bad in the beginning. That's um, a good reality check, I guess, to have. Well, because right? I came from other backgrounds, and so mm-hmm. I was, and I knew, I knew that I was capable of much more, and that I just wasn't capable of it yet. But also, like, I think when I compare, like, people like you or I that have performing backgrounds, and then right like, now we'll meet a bunch of, I'll meet a, like a twenty-two-year-old or a nineteen-year-old. And they're also, in the last few years, comedy has become a thing that you can aspire towards, where, as I think, maybe, like, in, like, the late 90s or 2000, it was still, it wasn't, like, a viable career option. Yeah. You know, and the same thing has happened with music. I feel like there's all these people, like, I just graduated from, what, blah, 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 this nice school, and what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm going to be in a band, because that's like being in a startup. It's like, I'm gambling on my band, Uh, I'll be able to cash out at one point on my band. You know, that's kind of it's a similar idea. Yeah, but I think... I think Not that the comics are I think that. there's a weird thing in that, too, where people get convinced that bands make money. Like, no, I know many fucking... people in bands, <laughs> you know, like, I have two friends, you know, like my friend Danielle from Guar. Never really made any money on Guar. Guar. Yeah. Was well, she out or is she still in it? I don't know. I'll call yeah. her later and find out <laughs> if she's in or out. Guar makes... I thought Guar makes some money. She makes her money by doing things that Guar allowed her to do. She makes her money. She does set design. Mm-hmm. She does all these things. But, but like Guar is like a very very successful band. Mm-hmm. Guar did and Guar did also like Guar did every little thing to make money. They printed newsletters. They, you know, like they sold all this mail order stuff. They became this cult. Yeah, and still. You know, like, all my friends that are in su- successful bands, like, quite a few of them, like, have day jobs. The great thing about Gord, though, is, like, they can be fucking old forever. No one knows what they look like. Yeah. They could menudo that shit. Well, you know, um, um, Danielle was pr- is pretty much the only original member other than Dave Brocky. Okay. Dave is, you know, like, they've had, they had, they've had certain people that worked with them for a long time, but as far as I know... Daniel is the only original member other than Odorous Hierongus. I was talking with Scott Bybin mm-hmm. as I was trying to write up, because I can't write myself up at all. I don't know. I, I can't do a bio, mm-hmm. because I don't know. The, I'm not a salesman. I don't know the right thing to mm-hmm. sell. And it's like if I describe myself as weird and surreal, when I think weird and surreal, I think Will Franken. Mm-hmm. And I'm not Will Franken. Like, 
I do yeah. something that is like sounds like regular stand-up and then gets really weird out of the middle of nowhere. That mm-hmm. was always what I tried to do. Like, it feels like very Hunter Thompson kind of in a weird way. It's not, <laughs> you know, like there's like I'll that, that spirit. Cool. There's like this sort of that spirit and like almost yeah, it's not like uh it's not improvised, it's not like, you know, uh poetry shit or whatever you know but uh, I think there's something about like that kind well, of one energy. of the things that I worked on for a long time too the surrealism yeah is trying to figure out how to make it so that people couldn't tell when I was improving and when I was doing written stuff you know mm-hmm. I actually I do a whole bit about this too mm-hmm. where like everything that I got beat up and called a faggot for liking when I was a kid is suddenly popular because the modern perception of what the mainstream likes turns out that perception was totally wrong which is the other reason why i'm putting this this video out i'm like look right if if amc is making zombie oh, yeah, tv series from an obscure comic book that people were making fun of me for reading nine years ago mm-hmm. and it is becoming one of the most popular things on television mm-hmm. like I, I look at all this stuff that's happening and it's like everything that made you a nerd and made you made you get shit on when you were a kid my age in the 80s like it turns out no that stuff is really popular because now there's there's a feedback mechanism more directly because before you got to count on like a what a Nielsen family or something yeah and what what Hollywood thought while they were all doing coke Mm -hmm. and Hollywood had that same mentality of the comedy club owner that I was talking about before Mm -hmm. that is like well I think you're brilliant but the morons of you know, like, mm-hmm. you know the old saying, will it play in Peoria? It's yeah. an old showbiz saying. Yeah. And I've always hated that. And It's also condescending I, to Peoria. <laughs> exactly. Um, I've always felt like Hollywood does this awful thing where, number one, they think people are dumber than they are. And then they pander to that imaginary dumb person mm-hmm. as smart people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really awful. Yeah. And I never wanted to do that. I was like, I was like, I can't, you know. Again, that's why I'm doing this thing and releasing it for free. Like, all I need is the weirdos that like the weird shit that I'm doing. Yeah. Just need enough of them to buy enough tickets that I can get to the next town and do it again and yeah. pay some bills and go home and feed the cat. That's, that's all I care. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's actually probably a good way to wrap this one up. All righty, then. It's a good line. Eric Cash, thanks for coming to the kitchen. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> thanks for having right. me. Yeah. Do you have a website? Um, <laughs> I, I'll throw it on the. On I went, the tag. I went through not having there. a website for years. I'm putting up another one next week. It's called antifamous.com. Okay, right on. Antifamous.com. All right, thanks for listening to the show. If you would be so kind, please leave us a nice review and rating on iTunes. Um, also, Check out the ZUM website, ZUMonline.com, and I'm going to be posting a bunch of podcasts in the upcoming weeks, because I got laid off from my job, and I got a little bit of a backlog, so I got some time to edit. Uh, Maybe we'll get into a bi-weekly zone. I'm going to be talking to, in the next couple weeks, Tony Bedard from Icky Boyfriends, and Phil Elvram from Mount Neary. So, hope to have those in the can and to you sooner than this one was. Uh, I was kind of sitting on this for a couple reasons, but uh, it seemed like a 
if you get a ten penny, you just promote Eric's Burrito Fest show. All right, uh, this is George signing off.